Well, good morning. So this week we will be picking up. We're at, we're still at the Jerusalem Council, and chapter fifteen, verse twenty-two, where they're going to where they're going to send out a decree. Well, kind of specifically to the church in Antioch, but it will also go to the other regions. But before we do that, let's just kind of back up a little bit, kind of review what we what we learned last week, what what was decided at this council that it was um, it, it's so important for us, so it's worth going over again. So James had some advice for both groups here. To the Pharisaical Jewish believers, he said, lay off these new Gentile Christians. We're not going to put a yoke on them that we ourselves can't bear. We, we're saved by grace through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, not by circumcision, not by observing the law of Moses. And then to the Gentile believers, he gave three restrictions. Stay away from anything that has to do with idols. Avoid sexual immorality. And do not partake of meat that has been strangled or has blood in it. Now, there's two great principles that come out of this that we can say. First is that those under grace, as those under grace, we are not to make non-biblical requirements of others, specifically those that come from secondary cultural traditions. Today, this means we're not to make areas of our lifestyle that are not spelled out in Scripture normative for others, for them to be good Christians. Okay. For example, how we dress, how we run our church, the standards of living we think are proper, our personal tastes, our musical, our musical preferences, including in worship service, etc. If we thrust any of these on others, it's necessary to a life of grace. We repeat the sin of the Judaizers. We're not in charge of other people's worship service. And we can't say, well, you're not a good Christian because you don't sing the songs we sing. The second principle is because we are under grace, we gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. So he says there was not anything intrinsically wrong with eating a rare steak. But James said to boil it or eat it well done for the sake of fellowship with the Jews. And then Paul states the same principle in 1 Corinthians 9. This is called the principle of accommodation. This is a this is a missionary principle. It's a missionary strategy. He says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not my being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So that's what James is saying here. We're not going to force you to, there's no doctrine of salvation by circumcision. But in the same, on the other hand, we don't want to try to share Christ with a Jew while we're sitting there eating a raw steak or a well-done steak with blood running out the corner of our mouth. Okay. And so that was James's reasoning. That's why it came out of this. That was the decision that was made. And so they decided <clears throat> they were going to 
um, where am I at here? They're going to write a letter. So we'll pick up at verse 22. Chapter 15, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with, with the whole church, so everybody agreed on this, to choose men from among them and send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter to them. So this is their epistle to the Gentiles. This is the first epistle to the Gentiles that we have in Scripture. And it goes like this. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction, so that tells you right there, these Judaizers showed up on their own accord, under no instruction from their elders or their leadership to do this. They, would, they had taken this upon themselves. <clears throat> Since you heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So notice that this epistle... It's word for word for what James James's judgment was. It's almost word for word. Almost, yeah. a little bit different. Yeah, this it's it's this, essentially the same thing. We're gonna we're not gonna do this, but we are gonna do this for the sake of our brothers. Okay, you, we're not gonna force you to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's not what grace. That would be a work. So it's very plain, very short to the point. Here's what we've decided. With the Holy Spirit. Notice he said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these essentials. <clears throat> so, this document is important because it shows what's the, like the heroism of the apostles. Because by declaring this openly, um, from this time on, Christian work in Jerusalem will become very difficult because they're basically saying, you know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to make people be circumcised. We're not going to make people observe the law of Moses. Salvation is not through the law. It's, un it's by grace. So this, this uh, you know, this made it hard on them. It would have been much easier for them to say, yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. We'll, we'll, we'll make everybody observe the law. But they wouldn't do that because they didn't want to impede the gospel going to the Gentiles. See, they had a, they kind of had a choice here. We're going to go the Jewish way or not? And they chose not. They, they made this very plain proclamation. So that's, you know, that's a big deal. So, <clears throat> verse 30. 
So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with lengthy message. So after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. So basically they come, they deliver the letter, they explain the letter, they encourage the brethren, and then when, after they were done, they went back to Jerusalem to their, to their home church. Right? Now why encourage? Why were the brethren so encouraged by this letter? Because um, he says they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Well, it's because a few minor restrictions in regard to their diet and their sexual practices, well, that's nothing compared to the yoke of the law. You know, they were sweating the law. They were being told, you've got to go be circumcised. You have to observe all that Moses gave in the Torah. And so, you know, they were probably pretty worried about that. What, what are they going to decide? What are the apostles going to say about this? So when they found out, here's a few minor restrictions so that you may relate, so we can relate better to our Jewish brothers. They, they, they obviously rejoiced in that. Great. I don't have to go have this surgery. Uh, just kind of like Titus, you know, when he was at this council and he was, you know, praise Jesus. You know, when they said, when James stood up and said, no, we're not going to require circumcision. It's a big deal for these people. <clears throat> Not just circumcision, but the, the yoke of the law. I mean, we don't want to. We don't want to be under the yoke of the law. Thank God, we're not under it today. Because if they would have decided differently, guess what? We'd all, if we wanted to be Christians, we'd have to be circumcised and live under the law. So there probably wouldn't even be a church here right now if this had gone another way. This is a huge turning point in the church. So that is the Jerusalem Council. That's kind of the end of it. Well, let's finish. Did I read the rest of that? Uh, so after they had spent some time there, they were sent away with the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others the word of the Lord. So there's the Jerusalem Council. Very important. Let's, let me read this. Uh, it's just a little conclusion here. After the council's proclamation. So what does this mean for us today? First is that we must preach grace alone. As it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And second, like James, we must tolerate nothing else. Grace is risky, but it can be abused, but it must not be rejected. Giving our kids the car keys is always a risk, but because we love them, we do it. God allows us to choose, even wrongly, but his continuing grace sustains and empowers us daily, and he ends with this prayer. Oh, Lord, help us to see any way we are mixing law with your grace, any false standards we are imposing on others, any conditions we are placing on our acceptance of others. Forgive us, cleanse us, 
shower us once again with your grace and love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a good prayer. We have to be so careful about how we relate to other people. We don't want to be Judaizers. <clears throat> so, next, we're going to move on. Unless, well, before we go, any things about the Jerusalem Council we need to touch on again? Is everybody pretty clear on it? Does it all make sense? Any, anything you missed? Any important points I may have overlooked? Y'all think that we need to hear? It is interesting that the, the verse uh, is kind of repeated that whole uh, letter conversation is repeated in Acts 21. You mean the decree about the? Yeah, it goes back through that. And, uh, Does it? It's really rather interesting. Okay, so we'll so when we get to Acts twenty one, we'll <clears throat> we'll be able to go back and retouch on this again. I believe so. Okay. Verse twenty five. Okay. Is this when Paul is kind of giving his? when he is purifying himself. Okay. It does well, it, 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 they were able to glorify God when they heard Paul speak about going to the Gentiles. And yet there's this Oh yeah, there it is. But in there and, and they they in my Bible it's translated and but and and but could be either one and uh and it's almost like, well, that's great what you're doing, but it's different than him. It's so great you did a great job on your homework, but we'll take out the garbage. <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> said that was verse 25, 21. 21. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that was, but we'll, we'll come across it's it pretty soon. 25. Yeah, twenty-one, twenty-five. So, um, so this is going to, that's kind of the end of Paul's little hiatus. Okay, remember in our, our chronology, Paul spends about three years here. This whole stretch of time we've been covering is about three years. From the time he finished his first journey, and then during this three-year span, the council happens. You know, that's probably about three days, and then, he ends by saying, um, they stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others, also the word of the Lord. So there's a little, that's one of those, another one of those little summary statements there. Kind of tell you what's, kind of indicate what's going on. You know, they're just, they're, they're in Antioch. They're encouraging the brethren. They're teaching, they're preaching, strengthening the church. And so we're fixing to move from a, a doctrinal conflict among the church to this, there's kind of a, a personal dispute that's going to come here between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. Remember we talked about when John Mark left them. We, we've covered that pretty, uh, pretty extensively. We talked about why we thought he might have left and all that. So we're, we're about to arrive there and we're going to see some more of that. So let's read... Uh, 36 through 41. After some days, and we don't know how many days that is, like I said, this is a three-year span of years. 
span of days here. We don't know how long passed between this, this proclamation to the time Paul says to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So, uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and who had gone and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, like I said, we've, we've moved from a doctrinal dispute to this personal dispute. A couple things I just want to call out here. Notice how this is plainly stated by Luke. There's, there's no cover-up happening here. So this is a, such a thing we see in Scripture, you know, the, the writers of Scripture didn't try to gloss over these ugly parts. You know, that's this right here. They had a dispute. They separated over it. And what, do we, what can we get from that? Well, all Christians walk with a limp, even Paul and even Barnabas. We all walk with a limp. We all, you know, Paul ain't perfect and neither is Barnabas. And this sharp dispute, I will say, should not have resulted in this, but it did. Now, they mended their fences later. We, we, we can see from, from other parts in Paul's epistles that this, uh, you know, they, they weren't enemies to this day. They weren't enemies. They just had a dispute. They were brothers who disagreed, so they decided to go different ways. But still, we can see that all Christians walk with a limp here. That's good. It encourages me to know that, you know, I don't have to try to be perfect. I strive for perfection, but I'm never going to attain it, and neither did Paul. You know, he said he was the chief of sinners. We can see it right here. You know, this is plainly stated. Nothing's being glossed over here. And we can, it's just, this is a judgment call by these two men. You know, they, there's, we are so lucky in that we have this full revelation of Scripture. We have all Paul's writings to tell us how to relate with one another. You know, Paul and Barnabas didn't have that. So this is just a judgment call. <clears throat> and a judgment call does not equal Scripture. Scripture equals equal Scripture. Mm -hmm. I have a note here about this event. Let's just, let me just read it. About this dispute between Paul and Barnabas. So we cannot be sure why John Mark originally left them at Pamphylia. Uh, he says most likely it was a combination of things, uh, the realities of missionary life with its ongoing conflicts and discomforts, possibly sickness in Pamphylia, Paul's growing ascendancy over Barnabas, a pampered upbringing, homesickness, whatever the reason, Paul considered this a desertion. Barnabas, who was John Mark's cousin, and we know that from Colossians 4.10. Colossians 4.10, if you want to look that up. He saw, he saw the situation much differently. 
he saw a change in John Mark, who obviously wanted another chance, and Barnabas resented Paul's rejection of this young man. The result was that verse 39 translates a sharp disagreement. Now, the word there is paraxismos, if I'm saying that right. Paraxismos the way it's spelled. Paraxismos is the word from which we derive our English word paroxysm, uh, which denotes violent action or emotion. Uh, Dr. Dyke said this word denotes like a joust or like a sword fight. Of course, not physically, but that's what the word is. It's like a, a sharp dispute. I mean, that's why it's translated that way. This was no small, you know, they might have got in each other's grill a little bit here. So this was not a mild gentleman's disagreement. It was an intense and passionate conflict. As to who was to blame, this is not an easy question. Scholars have had paroxysms over this question. And this is Arquette Hughes speaking now in the first person. He says, I feel for Barnabas. And yet Paul is the greatest of the apostles. And perhaps they were both right. No one can rightly blame Barnabas for wanting to give his cousin a second chance. He'd probably known this young man since he was a child. You know, they were cousins. Oh, at Nar can we fault Paul for fearing to trust him again. Paul is about the work of the Lord. He don't want nothing distracting him or stopping the progress of the gospel. Our judgment goes with Paul, but our hearts go with Barnabas. And according to verse 40, the church sided with Paul, and perhaps that is where we should leave it. You'll notice in verse 40, it says, But Paul chose Silas. He's also called Silvanus, just in case y'all didn't know that. Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So, the church did not commission Barnabas and John Mark to go to Cyprus. They did commission Paul and Silas to go to Syria and Cilicia and go back and do their plan, right? So I kind of agree with what he says there. Um, the church side of a poem, and that's probably where we should leave it. We, we can't know certain, you know, but we do know the church commissioned Paul, and Luke does not tell us that he commissioned Barnabas and John Mark. Okay. Do you think that there's some hints that it was not just a physical thing, but more a doctrinal thing with the understanding that at some point Barnabas even wanted to go with more law and not grace alone? Well, we're not indicated that anywhere in Scripture. The, the, for what I can see, the whole dispute is over John Mark. Barnabas wants to bring John Mark along and give him a second chance. Paul does not. The Bible has a note that said that God used the split between Paul and Barnabas to, to send two missionary teams we're about to one. We're about to talk about that. This is our fourth, <laughs> the fourth principle I'm going to point out from this little, this little, uh, this little section is that God wins Amen. in the end. Yeah. So we can say what what Paul and Barnabas meant for evil. I mean, they don't mean evil. They're just human. they're just being human. God takes this event. And takes this subtraction and multiplies it. So now we got two. We got two groups going out. You know, Barnabas and John Mark, 
That's no slouchy team of missionaries. Right? You know? <laughs> yeah. and John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. I mean, you know, and Barnabas, he's, you know, he's been a, a warrior for Christ, let's just say, okay, up to this point. Barnabas, even though his ministry is not over, this is where we say goodbye to Barnabas, okay, because that, that, this is the end of Barnabas as relates to the story of Acts. We don't see Barnabas anymore in Acts after this. So everybody say goodbye to Barnabas. Ah, Felicia. Yeah. But this is not a loss. This is a gain. In God's economy, God's going to take Barnabas and John Mark to Cyprus, and they're going to go continue their ministry. And we uh, see Barnabas, he is mentioned again in 1 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul mentions Barnabas in regards to Barnabas' ministry. So we know that Barnabas didn't just go to Cyprus and become a farmer. He, he, he continued in his ministry. And John Mark is mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.11. So, not the end of them, but the end of them in Acts. So we're going to continue on now with the new team, which would be um, Paul and Silvanus. And they're going to pick up young Timothy along the way. Okay. Now Barnabas is mentioned in Galatians. Yes. But I believe that mention is before they this split happens, if I'm correct. Is that right? Or is it after? Because Galatians is kind of autobiographical. Uh, can you show? Can you read us where he mentions Barnabas? Because I'm not sure if this is before the split or after. Uh, I think it's in two Okay, that's going to be before the split. That's the Jerusalem Council stuff. Galatians two eleven. We'll look at it real quick. This is when he goes up to Jerusalem after fourteen years. I'm almost certain that's what this is. Uh, I got it. Yeah. Uh, after burning for 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem. I brought Titus along with me. That's how we know Titus was at this council. He was a Greek at this council, an uncircumcised man. And uh, we did not yield in subjection to them for even one hour. Remember, we talked about that, how Titus was not circumcised. Uh, Galatians 2. Just kind of skimming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's two there's two trips to Jerusalem right here in the beginning of Galatians. He goes up after three years and then he goes up again after fourteen, right? Craig? Yeah, this is after yeah. his first missionary journey. He goes to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council, which yeah. we just talked about. Um, and then let's just let's go to eight or nine. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, these are the three pillars of the Jerusalem church who were reputed to be pillars, right, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also was eager to do. So yes, this is when Barnabas and Paul are still together at the council. This event we just read over is after, is afterwards. But he does mention Barnabas, like I said, in 1 Corinthians 9, 6. And this is in relation to Barnabas' later ministry. This is after this this, this uh, dispute occurs. Yeah, I was thinking of 13, verse 6. 
Yeah. All right, so chapter 16. We're going to begin the second missionary journey of Paul here. And Paul wanted to just go back to Galatia and revisit the churches he had, they had already established, strengthen the brothers, you know, see if there's any false doctrines have sprung up, you know, stamp that out, you know, tighten up their doctrines, things like this. He wanted to go make disciples, things we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to give somebody the gospel, them accept Jesus, and we, then that's that's not the end of our job. Okay, it doesn't stop right there. So that's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to go back and continue the job, but God has a different plan. Okay, so the first thing we saw was the, a direction from conflict. So, so we have. The original plan has already kind of been rearranged because it's no longer Paul and Barnabas who are going. Barnabas and John Mark's going somewhere else. And then so we've got Paul and Silas. So next we're going to see uh, direction in the enlistment of Timothy. So let's continue. 16 verse 1. Timothy joins Paul and Silas. So Paul, okay, let, let me, wait a minute. Let's go back to 41, 1541. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So already he's taken a different route. Because his original route was through Cyprus. Remember, they went to Cyprus, preached across Cyprus, went north, land, made landfall there, and then went through Pamphylia on up into Galatia. Well, there, already that's changed because Barnabas went to Cyprus. So Paul and Silas are going to go overground, kind of around the tip of the Mediterranean Sea up through Syria, up through Cilicia, past Tarsus, over the, the mountain, little mountain there, up into this region. So Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. Remember, Lystra's where he was stoned. And a disciple was there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. All these names familiar, right? This is where we were just a few chapters ago when they were establishing all these churches, appointing elders, all this stuff. But Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay. What in the world? We just talked about how Titus didn't get circumcised. And now... I have a question. Okay. So, if, so Paul's going a different route than the plan, right? That's what you're saying? Yes. He is not following his original route. And so and that's, and that's how he met Timothy. Is that... Mm, we could say he that? probably would have met Timothy anyway because he was going to eventually come to Derbe because that was one of the original cities that they evangelized uh-huh. but on their first when him and Barnabas went they went to Cyprus and then went north into the region he's just going he's just taking the land route but he's but either way he was going to end up in Derbe if the Lord willed it he's just getting there through a different route he's taking an overland route instead of a boat basically but we see here that he takes young Timothy and he circumcised him. 
whereas in Galatians we just read that we did not submit for even one minute to the circumcision thing. I'm confused. That's why he's not already circumcised. He's Jewish. Because his father is a Greek. So that's kind of the crux of the situation here. Uh, Silas is just is a Greek. He's a full-blooded Greek. Timothy is half. He's mother's a Jew. His father's a Greek. And so he was not circumcised, even though by law he's a Jew. Okay, so that's a problem if you're going to go out on missionary work to Jews. That's also interesting because that it says she was a Jewish woman, but a believer, because a regular Jew would not have married a Greek, would she? She did. Well, I know because she's a believer, so therefore she must have understood the freedom of Christ. That's what I'm saying. Is that? Yeah. Mm, I don't. I think so, because at this point, we can assume that Timothy is at least in his late teens or early 20s. Well, I'm not talking about Timothy. I'm just talking about the, the, the woman's perspective of a typical Jew, which would not have married a Greek, I wouldn't think. Not a Jew from Jerusalem, but a Jew from Galatia probably would. What would believer mean? She's a Hellenized <laughs> Jew. This woman's Hellenized. She's not a. She probably doesn't even speak Aramaic or Hebrew. She probably speaks Greek. So she already didn't adhere to the law. Probably, probably not. Oh, okay. Never mind. Probably not. And then she married a Greek. But because his father was a Greek, he was not circumcised till the eighth day. But Paul took him and circumcised him. <clears throat> um, so we talked about this. In Silas's case, this was a question of salvation. Is this man a follower of Jesus or not as an uncircumcised Gentile? Timothy, he wants to go out on missionary work. Now, Paul has circumcised him not so that he can be saved, but so that he can perform missionary work. This is a strategy. Okay, This is a missionary strategy. This is not a question of salvation. This is called the principle of accommodation. In, a, in a missionary circles, we read about it. What Paul said to a Jew. Exactly. Paul said it to a Jew. I became a Jew. To one under the law, I became as one under the law. To one outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Now, that doesn't mean he's compromising his principles. He's just trying to remove roadblocks of the gospel. This is to go. This whole point of this is to get the gospel to as many people's ears as possible. We want to move every roadblock we can. Okay? Does that make sense? All right, let me just read this little thing here about verse 3. Some have suggested that this circumcision was a compromise of the principle of the Council of Jerusalem. Actually, it was not. Paul had strongly resisted circumcision in the case of Titus, a pure Greek. We read that in Galatians 2. Because the principle of Gentile liberty was at stake. But Timothy, Timothy, his name's not Timothy. <laughs> but Timothy was both Jew and Greek and uncircumcised. He would continually offend the Jews with no advantage to the cause of freedom. So Timothy voluntarily removed the stumbling block. Okay. Timothy volunteered to do this. Yes, Paul, that's a good idea. Let's do it. Okay. This principle of accommodation is still used today. 
Whoever, who knows who Lottie Moon is? Who's ever heard of Lottie Moon? When I was a kid, every year at church, we took up a Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I had no idea who this woman was. I just knew she was a missionary. I don't know when she went. I didn't even know where she went, but now I know she went to China. I don't know when this was. I'm assuming like in the 1800s. Does anybody know when she did her missionary work in China? Anyway, it's, it's not relevant to the point, but uh, Lottie Moon used this principle of accommodation. Prior to her, missionaries tended to go into an area and they would try to make the locals, um, they would try to impose their, their mode of dress on them. You know, eat the kind of food I eat, dress the way I dress, behave the way I behave. They would try to, like I say, civilize the savages. Let's just put it that way. Lottie Moon took a different tack. She went to China as a single woman, as a missionary, and she took on Chinese dress. She started eating Chinese food, behaving in a, as a Chinese woman would in their society so as to fit in and not offend their sensibilities so she could share the gospel with these people. And she had a great missionary work. She applied this principle of accommodation. That's what Paul's doing here with Timothy. Got to be clear on that. He's, he's, he, that's the only reason he's circumcised Timothy for missionary purposes. Okay, so let's continue on. Verse four. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees that had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Okay, so not only are they strengthening the churches teaching the elders and the teaching pastors, you know, kind of snuffing out any false things that might have sprung up while they were away. They're delivering this decree to these people about what what James and the whole council had decided about circumcision and observing the law and restraining from idols and no sexual immorality, all that stuff. So there's they're doing a lot of work here. And then we have this little summary statement in verse 5. Another one, another summary statement. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Now, this summary statement. Notice what happens. Notice what's happening. Their strength, what's, what, Paul, what Luke records first is they were strengthening in faith, not in number. It's supposed to grow both ways. It's great if we're growing in number. But it's much more important that we grow in our faith, grow in our grace, grow in spiritual maturity. And so I feel like if you're growing, if your church is growing in faith, the numbers are going to come. I mean, Jesus is building his church the way Jesus wants it built. It's not up to us to, to build this church. We're just to be faithful and to make our, avail ourselves of the means of grace that are provided to us every time these doors open. And God will bring about the increase. And that doesn't release us from inviting people to church. We absolutely should do that and share the gospel. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus who decides how many people attend this church, not us. But notice how he, in the order, they're strengthened in the faith, and then they were also increasing in number daily. Remember our uh, the little principle we went through back in... 
when the when the deacons were first called, and we had this this kind of this dissension in the church about the widows. Some of the Greek widows were not being attended to the way the Jewish Jerusalem, the locals were. Remember that? Remember the thing we talked about? <laughs> Where there's life, there's growth. Where there's growth, there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be problems. Where there's problems, there's going to be solutions. And then where there's solutions, there's more growth. Be prepared. That's coming for us. Okay, If we continue to grow, keep continuing to come here, and this body begins to grow, especially at an increased rate, mark it down. There's going to be some problems. And we got to remember our studies, remember what the Scripture teaches, and handle these problems according to Scripture the way it's prescribed for us to handle it and not with pride and all that stuff. we got to be humble. That's just free. That's just... Put that in your pocket for later, okay? <laughs> I pray about this continually. This, this is a true concern of mine. As I see our body grow, it's great, and I rejoice in it. But we got to be ready. You know, but we have godly elders, wise elders, wise leaders in this church. We'll handle it just fine. But we got we as a body got to be ready to back these men up and conduct ourselves the way we're supposed to as, as good Christians. Exactly. That's why I'm making this point. Just forewarning. I don't see how we avoid it. Okay. If we're going to grow fast and grow a number, we, I just don't know how we can avoid the, the things that come along with that. Factions and enmities and all that stuff. Yeah, but that's just it's a chance for us to grow. Yes, it's a good thing. Exactly. Uh, with growth comes growing pains, and then with solutions comes more growth. Mm -hmm. we, we see it all, all throughout here. When the, we had the mess with the widows, what was the summary statement? But the church continued to grow, and the word of the Lord went forth. We got a summary statement here: churches being strengthened in the faith, and were increasing in number. So we see Timothy's enlistment. <clears throat> Next, we're going to see some direction through restraint. Verse 6, so they passed through the Frisian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, that Asia is not the continent. That's a region, okay? Let me start all over. They passed through the Frisian, Phrygian, Frisian, how do you say that? Sure. Phrygian. Let's call it Phrygian. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Messiah, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas. Underline they. Notice, notice that pronoun is they. So what's happening here? I mean, how did God restrain these men from going into Asia or into Bithynia? So Bithynia is kind of north. I think Asia is kind of south. So it's like the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus is hurting these men eastward. I mean westward. Go west. Go west. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. I want you to go west. So what was happening here? I mean, it could be 
any number of reasons we're not told. Beth Arkin Hughes words it great way, but the way I can do this way quicker. Let me try to explain it. Specifically, how did the Holy Spirit restrain them? Through the bestowing or removing of a subjective sense of peace, possibly. This that is often how he directs us in our day-to-day lives. Or possibly it was through difficult circumstances such as transportation problems, illness. And this is Arkent Hughes talking again, first person. Personally, I think, it's not what I think, it's what Arkent Hughes thinks. Personally, I think, although I will not be dogmatic, that it was illness. Because Luke, a physician, joined them right after this time, as is shown in verse 10, when Luke changes the narrative from they to we. That's why I had you underline they there. So by any estimation, their missionary work was not smooth sailing. As Paul experienced these closed doors, however, those doors were closed. We don't know. doesn't tell us. He faced driving cross currents and inscrutable difficulties. All right. So we see God guiding these men through restraint. He's restraining them from going certain directions. He does not want them going to Asia. You don't want them going to Bithynia. So next we're going to see some guidance through Revelation. We'll pick pick back up there in verse 8. And passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision immediately, notice we sought to go to Macedonia. Concluding that God had called us, again, possessive, plural pronoun, to preach the gospel to them. So, what can we say here? God has guided them through Revelation. Paul receives a vision. So, Paul and Luke and Silas, and now, and Timothy. So, we got four now. Let's do a roll call. Paul. Silas, Timothy, and now Luke has joined them. They considered this vision of this man. It's a Macedonian man. I mean, I was thinking, how do they know this guy's from Macedonia? I'm sure he dressed differently. This is across a large body of water. They're leaving this uh, Asia Minor. This guy's over in Europe. So this is... He probably has a much different form of dress. He may speak a different language, whatever, you know. But they they knew for certain this guy was from Macedonia. So they considered this vision in the context of all that had happened, you know, with all these difficulties they've been having. It's like they're being herded to the west, onward and onward. And uh, they knew that God was calling them to Europe. <clears throat> so what do we all say to that? Praise God. Praise God that the gospel was coming to us in the West. And so we'll stop right there. I'm going to give a final word from our Kent Hughes. I think we're, we're about out of time anyway. Yeah. Right, that's a good stopping place. So a final word, he says. What are the abiding lessons we see in all this? First, they all succeeded for Jesus. Barnabas and Paul and their companions. Silas was an effective partner in Christian ministry. Timothy was a good soldier for Christ. Two of Paul's letters were addressed to him 
Six of Paul's letters included Timothy in the salutation. Timothy served heroically in Ephesus during days of strife. He went with Paul on his last visit to Jerusalem. Timothy was even with him in prison. He was his son, his comrade in battle. John Mark got back on track under Barnabas' loving care. He was a great help to Peter in 1 Peter 5.13. And at the sunset of his life, Paul himself wrote, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That's 2 Timothy 4.11. John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel that represents Christ as the perfect servant. Something wonderful had happened to this tender man who had so miserably failed in service and to his relationship with the Apostle Paul. There was healing between Paul and Barnabas as well. 1 Corinthians 9, 6. God can use unhappy, perplexing failures to bring fresh purpose and direction to our lives. He can restore the years the locusts have eaten with abundance. Even when we are at fault, God will use our failures to bring greater blessings. God will lead us according to his own perfect plan for our lives and ministries. We must be careful not to box God in by our prior experience. The most important thing by far is our attitude. Why God directs us west when we want to, when we want to or expect to go north, we do not know. Why he did not give Paul a vision at the beginning instead of the end, we cannot fully explain. But this we know. God directs us through every situation, the apparently good and the apparently bad. We need to yield to his caring hand. In G. Campbell Morgan's words, quote, It is better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. Amen. All right.